the resurrection unleashes the the human mind. Uh, Christianity unleashes the capacity for uh, of of human beings reaching potential and pushing the boundaries of innovation and and discovery and exploration. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you have to do. You have to do the work, but we are here to guide you, encourage you, and challenge you at some points to be the best person in your faith that God has made you to be. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, this is Thursday. This is uh, generally known in the Holy calendar as Monday, Thursday. Monday, so, not Monday, Thursday, but Monday. Monday, M-A-U-N-D-Y, Monday, Thursday. So we are here to kick off Good Friday. And, you know, we're kind of on Thursday, we're going to be doing this podcast today. And then Good Friday is services tomorrow. And then Saturday is Easter Fest for the family and kids. And then Sunday, we're going to have seven services, three of them uh, on campus at 9 a.m., 10, 15, and 11:30. Yes, and that Good Friday we are doing a worship night here at Foothills. If yes. you are interested in watching online or attending, we're actually partnering with three other churches for that. So it'll be yeah. uh, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Mountain Standard Time. So yeah. it'll be fun. It's a big C Church event, which will be nice. It's um, us combining together with a bunch of other churches. Yeah. So it'll be yes, cool. big C. We call that big church, big C. So, so, um, I mean, this is all kind of leading up to Sunday, which yeah. is the big resurrection celebration. Mm -hmm. It's the most significant event in human history for over 2000 years. The church has celebrated this event as a foundation of our faith. Mm -hmm. And on Tuesday, we studied first Corinthians 15, where Paul describes how the resurrection is the foundation of all we believe. And without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. Yeah, yeah, really it is. And because it's really fascinating how different the resurrection is to any other belief system and or religion. Mm. And what people don't uh, really, I think, understand is that philosophy, uh, which is the study of truth and life, the ultimate reality, belief systems, and religions are all truth are they're all basically the same it's a system or a worldview mm -hmm. and so what's interesting about it is christianity is unique in that its truth claim or its belief system is based on a truth claim and the truth claim is that jesus christ rose from the dead and so it's really interesting it's very simple uh, and yet the ramifications of it are massive. So the phrase that they used to use for a long, long time, uh, centuries in the early churches, he is risen. That's all mm. they'd say, those three words, he is risen. And so they'd say something very simple, but the ramifications, the implications, uh, the beliefs that were accompanied with it were incredibly powerful and broad. So I think that's what's really unique about Christianity. Um, other belief systems, like for instance, uh, other religions say, well, if you abide by our ceremonies and way of living, you, life will be better. 
So if you eat this and you dress this way and you think these things, and so it's basically, we're going to tell you how to live, how to eat and how to think, and you'll be happier. And some people help plan. Yeah. And a lot of people like, well, that works for me, you know? Um, and then you have philosophies uh, of the world, like secular humanism, and you have scientific materialism, and you have atheism, and you have all different kinds of philosophies, utilitarianism, pragmatism, logical positivism, existentialism. You go through all these lists. There are always isms. Why is that? Right. But uh, what happens is in, in these things, they're saying, well, if you see the world this way, life is better. But what's interesting is that they always become incongruent, meaning mm. that they become illogical and they don't deliver what they promise. And so what that, so Christianity is not really a philosophy and it's not really a religion. It is a claim of truth. He is risen. Well, and I think that's really important that we also delineate. There are we talked about this on Tuesday. There's people that are supposedly Christians that don't believe mm-hmm. he is risen. Right. Mm-hmm. And so their faith is also in vain. Just they're, they're Christian in name only, not right. in belief. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, I think these, this, this mindset of this is a true historical fact versus yes. this is a nice way of thinking about how the world affects me are two very different. They are very different. Very, very different points of view and ways of living yes. your life. Yeah, and, and this is what's really fascinating because the series is called Foundation that we're studying on, and it the foundation ultimately dictates the house you build on top of it. Mm. You know? And so if you have a foundation that is rectangle, guess what shape your house will be? Probably a rectangle. Yeah. I'm not a builder, but that, that would be my assumption. Yeah. If it's a square, then it'll be a square. square. If your foundation is a parallelogram, your house is going to come out. probably a parallelogram. It'd be a parallelogram. You know, if or it's a, a hexagon. circle, yeah. maybe you're doing a TP yeah, or whatever. some sort yeah. of dome yeah. thing. Yeah. So octagonal, Bio-dome. yeah, biodomes. <laughs> but, but see, that's what's really interesting is that the foundation dictates the house, the shape of the house. Now you can put all different kinds of finishes in it and you can have all different kinds of experiences within it, but ultimately the foundation dictates the ultimate shape. And so when the resurrection is the foundation, what it does is it actually builds a house of freedom, not less freedom. So it's more, not less when it comes to freedom. See, Christianity is a historical claim, as you said, rooted in a historical event. Therefore it doesn't focus on establishing a culture of religion. Uh, there's a, a scholar, an academic, his name is Remy Brog, and he writes for various magazines. And he, he points out something really interesting. I was reading some of his stuff recently and very early on in the second century. So this is between 100 and 200 AD, right? Okay. So Paul was probably killed in Rome around 64 AD. And so John, the, uh, the apostle John was on the Island of Patmos, wrote the book of revelation, the apocalypse in 90, 92 AD. So very shortly after that, sometime in the second century, there was a letter written, uh, it's called the, uh, letter of Methetes to Diognetus. And these are obviously Latin names. And it's really interesting that they don't know who wrote the letter. It's not considered like a biblical letter or anything. It's just, you know, one Christian guy writing another. Right. And they don't know who he is, but the writer observes in this letter 
that Christians don't distinguish themselves from other people by a special abode, meaning a house that has a different shape to it. They don't distinguish themselves by a special language, special attire, or a special diet. And so Remy then kind of, uh, Brag, he encapsulates what this letter says by saying, in a nutshell, across an astonishingly wide range of human activities, there is no such thing as a specifically Christian behavior. There's no desire on the part of Christians to live their concrete everyday lives in a detailed fashion that sets them apart from other people. He goes on to say huge chunks of human experience are left outside the pale of revealed truth. So he says there is a revealed truth. What is that truth? He is risen. Now outside of that is all this freedom. Mm. All of these human behaviors are left outside of that. He goes, because it's been entrusted to human intelligence. Uh, this distinguishes Christianity from other religions. And I would go farther and say any other belief system or philosophy, one should never underestimate the importance of food. And so it is fitting that Judaism outlines in a Talmudic cuisine, one based on the rules of, uh, Kashruth. Yet there aren't there, even though there's Christian cooks, we have all kinds of Christian chefs and Christian cooks. There's no Christian cuisine. Health is another matter of wide concern for everybody across all philosophies, belief systems, and religions. There is in Islam a so-called prophetic medicine based on the pieces of advice given by Muhammad, and in some cases and summarized in collections of the Hadith that are attributed to the prophet himself. But by contrast, you have Christian doctors, Christian physicians, but there's no Christian medicine. Islam stipulates an Islamic dress code the Islamic veil for grown up females, the commandment to let one's beard grow and trim one's mustache for males. Remy writes, he goes, but there are no Christian, even though there's Christian tailors, there's Christian hairdressers, Christian barbers, cosmetologists, there's no Christian fashion. Mm. You see? So what's really interesting here is because it's a truth claim, right? Not a religion or a philosophy or way, a specific behavioral way of life. Guess what? It brings tremendous freedom massive amounts of freedom. And so that I think is a significant difference of the power of the resurrection and the foundation of our faith. Well, and we see that not only in our day-to-day -day life where we're not expected to, you know, um, different religions have different specific times of day that are holy or that you're supposed to be doing something. Yes. There's, you know, different foods that you can, can't eat, all these things. So not even just in the day-to-day -day living, we aren't restricted. Correct. So, so to say by, um, our beliefs in Christianity, but just in our general, the freedom that Jesus offers us in being set free from when we mess up, there's a yes. lot of religions that say you mess up once. Now you're coming back as right piece of elephant dung or whatever, or whatever, yeah. you, you know, you have to do X amount of things in order to be set free about this, or you Correct. have to do this or this or this and this. And it's like, there's so many things that it's like, it can be overwhelming trying to live under this burden and all these chains of these things yes. that you have to do. It's very restrictive. Yeah. And so it's like Christianity sets us free from the day to day craziness that some other religions can impose or what can feel like yes. craziness. And then there's also the spiritual freedom of, I can be set free from these things that I've made mistakes in or, mm -hmm. or my former life, I can be redeemed rather than, well, you messed up this time, try better next time around. Yes. And that's, what's really interesting is, is on a side note from a historical perspective is that that's why America 
it has been become so great as it is, and they call it a melting pot. And because you can, you can adopt all of these types of things. Well, where does that that ethic come from? It came from Christianity, because what Christianity does is because it doesn't have a culture, so to speak, a religious culture, then it allows you to adopt the benefits of any other culture around you. Right. You can you can adopt that. And so in America, you know, you can go anywhere and wear almost anything you want. You know, you can dress any way you like. Um, uh, in Christianity, they say, just dress modestly. Right. You know, so, oh, okay, well, and everybody interprets that a little bit differently. Right. And that's fine. And so I think that's really, really important. You know, the second thing I think is is significant is that when the resurrection is the foundation of your faith, it unleashes the reasoning power of the human mind. It, there's no accident in Western civilization that the financial revolution that began in Florence with the Florin in Italy uh, during the Medici uh, rain. It's no accident that the industrial revolution, the Renaissance, the scientific revolution, the political revolution, which means democracy and republic representative republics, which by the way is becoming the predominant form of government in the world today. All of those things occurred within Western civilization. None of those things occurred in civilizations that had a religious culture being imposed on it. Mm. It's there's zero evidence of that. Some people will try to go back and say, well, you know, the idea of representative government came from the Athens, you know, or the Greeks or whatever. Well, when you actually go back and you read, it's not true. Mm. It wasn't a representative government based on the sovereignty of all individuals. It was only, it was, it was a form of oligarchy. And that is, is that meaning if you were even in Rome, is that if you, your family could be traced back ancestrally. And this is why these census in the Bible was such a big deal to the Romans is that you had to track your ancestry back to one of the founding families of Rome. And if you could do that, then you were in the top class and you got all the awards and you could have some say, but even that approach quickly delved into totalitarianism with the Caesar and the emperor and so forth. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, Rome lost its capacity to vote and it became a dictatorship before Jesus was even born. Mm. And that's the whole thing about Julius Caesar. That's why he was such a significant f figure, you know, as he, he changes it into a dictatorship. And then the first thing that happens is they stab him in the back. So somebody else can take control. Yes. <laughs> is that interesting? But my point is, is that the resurrection unleashes the, the human mind, uh, Christianity unleashes the capacity for, uh, of, of human beings reaching potential and pushing the boundaries of innovation and, and discovery and exploration. And when the resurrection is a foundation, you can believe in the potential of human beings, their capacity to do these things like discover, explore, innovate, and, and create. But at the same time, because you believe in the resurrection, you can understand the frailties of human beings, their penchant for mistakes and, and making bad decisions and misbehavior. And so that's one of the things about Christianity is it takes into account human frailty while still believing in human potential, all because it's based on the foundational claim, he is risen. Well, and we see that you talked about this in relationships. Um, I think it was your last sermon or maybe it was the first one in this series where 
people, especially in marital relationships, are setting mm-hmm. these expectations of perfection that are unachievable, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And when you are a Christian and you understand on a day-to-day basis, you are imperfect and you are sinning, you know, to varying degrees and that you only live this life and you have a chance to be with God because of his forgiveness and mercy and the grace of the resurrection, it significantly changes how you should be looking at your partner and say, well, if I'm getting this much grace from God, I can give them a little bit of grace when Mm -hmm. they don't live up to my hopes and desires or expectations. And we see that in work relationships. We see that in, in romantic relationships. We see that just in life. And then looking at ourselves as we try to achieve our goals and stuff, it's, Oh, I didn't quite hit it this time. I have a drive and desire to try to do better next time because I'm under grace and I can do that. Yeah. And what's amazing is what you just described on a personal level is the entire paradigm of thinking that launched the scientific revolution. You see, every scientist said, I am a sinner. They didn't use the word sinner. You know what they said? They use the word bias. Mm. See, I'm biased. And, and so I have to do experiments in a way to remove any influence of my bias. Right. Right. So it can become, and it's the same thing as that in, in marriage relationships, you know, I am biased. I am a sinner. And when I realize that and they realize that it allows us then to create, uh, communicative experiments, uh, bonding, emotional experiences, experiments, all of these types of things that improve the relationship and you'll never get rid of your flaws, right? You'll never get rid of your imperfections, but what you're describing is, but by setting the right expectation, it makes all the wonderful things that come from marriage possible. If you keep your expectation high, it steals all the grace and the mercy out of your relationship. Right. Isn't that amazing? It is very amazing. (laughs) All because the foundation of our faith is he is, is risen. risen. Yeah. So when the resurrection's foundation, it allows in, you know, to go a step further, it gives you the capacity to experience and give redemption. It, it gives second chances, new beginnings. What the, the resurrection of Jesus does is it gives hope to the hopeless value to the valueless, the meaning to the meaninglessness of life. When the resurrection is the foundation of of your life, you can, you can practice authentic diversity and unity. It allows for massive cultural differences, differences in language, differences in expression, differences in art, differences in, in family, you know, the size of a family, you know, all those kinds of things. It allows for a diversity of food. It allows for diversity of song, um, musical expression. It allows for, uh, diversity of dress and how people dress it, different hairstyles, you know, it allows for, uh, different shoes, you know, what kind of shoes you wear when the foundation is a resurrection. Uh, it allows for the creation of different musical instruments, artistic pursuits, artistic rendering, sculptures and paintings and, and mosaics and reliefs and all these. And today it's movies and song and spoken word. And, um, it, you know, in Christianity, because the resurrection is the foundation, it allow, it allows for, you know, people who come out of the inner city to rap, you know, one, one of the rappers that my son really likes, my youngest son is NF. 
you know? And he's like, I go, oh, that's really edgy. Did he come out of Compton? He goes, no, his name is Nick Feuerstein. I'm like, that's a real Jewish name. (laughs) Very Jewish. (laughs) It's a very Jewish name. But, you know, he raps about that all the way to people who are sing opera, you know, and everything in between country Western to contemporary. I mean, the diversity that the resurrection as the truth claim on which we base our faith allows is phenomenal. Um, what it does is it allows, you know, you can, you can go to church here in America and then you can get out on plane and go to South America and go to church. And I can tell you this, it's going to be radically different. Just a little bit. <laughs> It'll be radically different there. However, what makes that church there just as vibrant and alive with the spirit of God as a church in America? What, what does it? It's because they hold to an objective standard. And that objective standard for every culture, for every church, is that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone rose from the dead. He died on the cross for our sins. So when the resurrection is a foundation, the objective standard for every culture comes. All cultures and all cultural values are not necessarily equal, or should they be? But what Christianity does is it enters into the culture and it influences it for the better, not the worse. It influences economics, social structure. It raises the value of the lower classes and it brings humility to the upper classes. And here's what's really fascinating is that without Christianity, I want people to really listen to this point. Without Christianity, the America and its representative Republic and its constitution, the, the basic ideas of democracy would not exist. However, Christianity does not need democracy Mm. and a representative Republic or even America to exist. It existed before. And if it, it, America collapses, it'll exist after uh, until the day Jesus Christ comes again. So I think that's really an important distinction to make is that without Christianity, none of that stuff in Western civilization that we love today about freedom and sovereignty of the individual and you have rights and all that stuff would exist. However, Christianity doesn't need that stuff because today you look at some of the most totalitarian places in the world today. And what you're going to find is you're going to find Christianity is growing. For instance, that one of the fastest growing churches in the world today is led by women in Iran. Mm. where it is a death penalty to convert away from Islam. And yet it's, it's growing there today in China. There's a massive over the last five years has become a massive crackdown on all Christians is a matter of fact, China just outlawed the mentioning of the word Christ on any social platform. So Facebook is now censoring the word Christ on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of that stuff. You can't say those words in China. So anything that we produce on the salty pastor now, anything that on our services from Foothills Christian church cannot be viewed. They are filtered out in China because we say the word Jesus Mm. all the time. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Well, and I think just kind of going back to that diversity of um, how Christianity can be in in South Africa versus China versus Iran versus in America, we see just even that diversity just in America. Like you go Southern Baptist service, you go to all these different kinds of services. And as a big C church, who is a Bible believing church, Mm -hmm. you will see 
all kinds of different variants on how a service should be ran, what kind of music is done, how the preaching is done, how yes. the the groups are led, how people, when people come in, where they come in, what they do, what they wear, all of those things are various, varietally different across the board. Yes. And even here in the Treasure Valley, even in the Treasure Valley. I mean, it's like you go to one church and then down the road, you can go to another church. I mean, you'll have a completely different experience. <laughs> yes, right? you will. Yeah. And it's all trying to focus on serving people who meeting people where they're at and what they yeah. find the best. And, and as long as they're not departing from biblical you know, truth. He, the biblical truth, that's fine. Yeah. And that's the only kind of freedom you can get in Christianity. Yes. They do not. I, I mean, I am not as well learned as you are on other <laughs> religions, but I imagine other religions do not have a lot of variety in how no. they do things would no. be my guess. They no. are all pretty set in stone in. Yes. This is how we do this thing. No matter whether you're in one side of the country or the other side of the yes. country, it's the same everywhere. It's yeah. Like, if you go to an LDS ward, you can go to one here in the treasure Valley You can go in, in Driggs, Idaho in Salt Lake city or in Indonesia. And it's exactly the exactly same. Exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Exactly the same. And so, uh, you can go to, into a mosque, you know, and the prayers that you can pray them in London, England, you can pray them in Yemen, uh, North Africa, you can pray them in, you know, New York city, and they're going to be exactly the same, yeah. you know? And so that's, that's important to understand. And is that, but Christianity across the board, Protestant Christianity in particular, just has a tremendous amount of variety. Now, sometimes a variety gets outside of the mainstream and it departs from the truth. Mm. Sometimes the method you choose or the structure you choose is a violation of the truth. And so you can call yourself a church, but you're really not. Mm. And you're just a club that uses Jesus to get together. So you have to be careful of that. Well, how, do you, how can you be careful? Well, I can tell you this much. The best way to know is how often does the church that you choose to attend crack the Bible and read it? Mm. and tell you this is what it's saying. And if you go there and it's like, man, every, you, you know, you don't want to go to a place where you're always depressed. And, you know, it's like some people take the greatest news in the world. Some preachers do. And, and they, they just depress the, the depressing, depressing. The good news becomes yeah, the, uh, yeah, it not feels a fan like of that. the regular news on TV sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a big point about that uh, in, in that scholars have studied. And uh, Pope Benedict made this point. Now, Pope Benedict was the Pope that was in between Pope John. Mm -hmm. One of the most popular, and then now Pope Francis, mm -hmm. uh, who's really popular. He was kind of the scholar guy. He didn't have much personality, and so he abdicated and turned it over because he knew he was just a transitional guy. But he spoke to the European Union, and he said one of the things during the Dark Ages in Europe that saved Europe was the monasteries. And then he went on to make this point. It's really fascinating in his discussion with them. He said, look, the reason they saved the culture and they saved the civilization isn't because they wanted to save the culture and the civilization. That wasn't their intent. Their intent was to go into the monasteries and just live out their faith, which was basically uh, prayer and purpose, which means they would spend time in prayer and then they would work. They had a very positive view of work and they felt that to work was to glorify God. Mm. And so what they did is they came, they're the ones who came up with all of these economic approaches and all these agricultural things that, that renov, 
revolutionized how we grow food. They came up with the whole notion of how to rotate crops in thirds, you know, because it was a Trinitarian concept. I mean, I could just go on and on and on and on. And he was making the simple point is that the church always, always when it functions by focusing purely on Jesus ends up saving everything around it, whether it attends to or not. So I think, and I think that's why it's important. I want to kind of talk too about how it's so personal. Mm. You know, for you is that when you personally build the foundation of your faith on the resurrection of Jesus, when you say he is risen, that changes everything because what you're doing is you can embrace your value as a human being. When you say he is risen, you can say the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords gave himself for me. It, it allows you to make peace with your flaws your idiosyncrasies, your failures, your regrets from all your bad decisions. You see, human beings, we all have these things, and it's part of our human condition. So how can you feel good about yourself when your mistakes are ever before you? Well, it's through the power of the resurrection. Without denying your mistakes or trying to convince yourself they weren't so bad, the resurrection allows them to be healed by redemption. And you may carry the scars, but you don't carry the arthritis from them. Um, The resurrection of Jesus allows you to get up whenever you stumble and fall. You know, in so many ways, it's not the fall or the trip or the stumble that you take. So you find yourself in a hole that defines you as a human being. It's how you respond. It's when you get back up and keep going. Life always knocks you down, throws a curveball, catches you with a left haymaker out of nowhere that you didn't see coming. But once you are cold cocked or you're fallen down or you've tripped or you've drawn or driven off the road into the ditch, it is the resurrection when it's the foundation of your faith that gives you the power to get back up, to get going again, to keep moving because you've been redeemed. You're not living based on your last great success or your last great failure. Those things don't define you. What defines you is the grace of God and the power of his blood that he gave for you and conquered death through the resurrection over the dead. And our inherent souls long for this, right? We see this in storytelling all the time. If it wasn't, if we didn't love watching, you know, Superman fall down, get beat down and stand back up and go fight for someone. Batman's back gets broken and he climbs up and out. You know, we see these athletic sports stories of people who get injured and they get back up and they go back into the field to do the things. It's like our souls leap for joy when we watch that. We love that. And that's built into us. And the only reason for that to exist is if we in our souls know for a fact the same thing happened for us. We were redeemed. God sent Jesus yeah, and he rose from the dead to save yeah. us so that we had a second chance. We want to see that in our lives on a daily basis yes. to remind our souls he died for us. We have a second mm-hmm. chance. Yeah. And you know, religion can't save you. Um, when, and what I mean by religion is a series of ceremonies and dietary habits and dress and outfits and prayers that must mm. be prayed. What, what can save you is the blood of Christ through the power of the resurrection. It's, it's the power of the resurrection from the dead that gives you endurance. It's the power of the resurrection that allows you to persevere in hard times. 
You, you can hang on when everybody else gives up. You can keep going when everybody else stops. Because at your core, like you said, the thing your soul longs for the most is this conviction that, that endure, I'm not enduring. I'm not persevering in my own strength. I can't do it, but the power of the resurrection courses through my veins. And that's why Paul says in Philippians, he says, I want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. So to be able to live this way and to do this and all of these wonderful things only happen when we always remember, always live, always think, hope, and breathe that he is risen. And this is the foundation of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for sharing that with us. And for you listeners, I just pray that you have a plan to celebrate the resurrection this weekend. Whether it's with us or another church, we would love to invite you here to Foothills, whether you're coming on campus um, or online, we'll have services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30, and then we'll have several other services in the afternoon online only that you can tune in for. If you're traveling or you're not in the Treasure Valley and you can't join us in person, we'd still love you join us online to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we just are so excited to be spending that time together, mm -hmm. remembering what he did for us and what kind of freedom we have through that one and only truth. He is risen. Amen. So, thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Blessings.